hppodcraft.com. Islands of all shapes and sizes troop northward from Stockholm by the hundred, and the little steamer that threads their intricate mazes in summer leaves the traveler in a somewhat bewildered state as regards the points of the compass when it reaches the end of its journey at Waxholm. But it is only after Waxholm that the true islands begin, so to speak, to run wild and start up the coast on their tangled course of a hundred miles of deserted loveliness. And it was in the very heart of this delightful confusion that we pitched our tents for a summer holiday. That's the opening few lines from Algernon Blackwood's The Camp of the Dog. You have joined us right in the middle of Werewolf History Month. Here at the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Here at HPPodcraft.com. I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And you know, history, it's full of struggle. Yes. Nowhere is that more apparent than me reading this story. I, could, <laughs> I had to struggle to get through it. I had to struggle to care about it. Yeah. I struggled with all kinds of questions about, you know, why am I even on this earth while I was reading this book? <laughs> yeah. No, I really, I, you know, normally when we read these things, they're pretty, even if they're kind of hard to get through, I still sit down, the veil comes down, and I'm just kind of there. Yeah. You know, I enjoy reading. I'm good at it. I felt so much like a high school student while I was reading this. I was, I would read two paragraphs and get up and leave and go do something. I kept thinking, yeah. oh, I probably should get something to eat before I keep going with this. You know, I was doing all the excuses. This is what I did. I, I found a recording of this on La- Labor Box. Mm. I started reading it. I had to go sit in my bedroom in the dark to listen to this. Wow. To force myself to get through. <laughs> that was the, the only way that it was going to happen. Yeah, I considered doing that as well. I, I've never listened to any of the stories we've run on the show, but I was like, maybe I should do that. The only thing is I was afraid I'd fall asleep. Anyway, we are really <laughs> playing this down. People are going to tune us out. At least we have Andrew Lehman here to read for us. That does make, you know, that makes the text a lot better. It does. I, In fact, hearing him read it, I was thinking, well, actually, maybe this isn't such a bad story. <laughs> but, it, but I realize it's just his talent. <laughs> it's just his talent. It's yeah. not the words. Let's just go through the story. We're on this camping trip, right? That's what we set up there. Yes, it's a camping trip. It's in July in an island off the coast of Sweden. And the narrator, uh, whose name is Hubbard, mm-hmm. we find out later, mentions uh, this guy, Dr. Silence. Now, I know that he is a character that's in a few of uh, Blackwood's stories. Well, I think it's John Silence, Physician Extraordinary, is with the, the collection of books. That yes. But they also call him the Psychical Physician or the Psychic Physician, apparently. He's the guy you call when something odd is going on, and he's the one that probably will give you a long-winded, absolutely correct explanation of what's happening. But He knows everything, obviously. And people were writing and saying they were excited for us to do this story because they really like the character of John Silence. And we are going to read some other John Silence stories. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they'll be better. When I was looking at kind of synopsis of the stories that he does, they all sound awesome. This one's called uh, A Psychical Invasion. A man's experimentation with drugs opens his mind to an attack by a supernatural force. This tale is based on both Blackwood's own experiments with drugs and his occult learning whilst in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Pretty cool, Sounds pretty huh? cool. Here's another one. Sounds pretty cool. Ancient Sorceries. A village in a cathedral town in France with an above-average population of cats turns out to have in its midst a number of dabblers in the dark arts. Yeah. Uh, how about this? The nemesis of fire. A fire elemental from millennia ago lays siege to a country mansion, and only Dr. Silence can stop it. I'm sold on I all know. of these. And then the description of this one says a group's visit to the outback is disturbed by the presence of a werewolf. Disturbed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just not as nice as it could have been. People are slightly annoyed that the werewolf is visiting. It's not terrifying. It's not wreaking havoc. It's, you know. Okay. Well, anyway. So, now, but at this point in the story, that our narrator, Hubbard, he knows... 
uh, Dr. Silence, but Dr. Silence is nowhere ab- about. Yeah, he's not taking this trip with them. They're going to meet up later. But before Hubbard goes off on this trip, mm-hmm. and we'll meet all of his companions that he's with in a moment, he does get some advice from John Silence, right? Yeah, he says, enjoy your holiday, store up all the force you can, uh, and we will meet in Berlin in the 15th, unless you should send for me sooner. Mm. And then he just says, you know, that's it. And then he goes, unless I should send for him sooner? What is that supposed to mean? Yeah. Why would I do that? Why is he saying that? And it kind of gets under his skin. Yeah. And so maybe John Silence has some kind of, uh, well, he's the psychic physician, right? So he kind of knows that something bad's going to happen and they're going to need to talk to him. Yeah. Okay. So that unnerves the narrator, but he goes off. He's got this gang together of companions that they're going to, they're going to be there for a while. I yeah. mean, they're just basically going to find a beach camp and stay there for a couple of months, right? Live off the land. I mean, real camping mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Not to have a tent with a television set. Kind of- <laughs> well, right away he says, you know, a change happens among all of the people that I'm camping with as soon as we get out into the wilderness they kind of go a little native you know they uh, they become different people they drop their disguises reveal who they really are yeah he says um, now you will see me as I am you will see me here in this primitive life of the wilderness without clothes all my masks and veils I've left behind in the abodes of men so look out for surprises and I, I was still interested at that point I thought that's yeah. cool mm-hmm. and there's some truth to it you know it's kind of like you have friends you know but then if you have to stay with them somewhere you see how what they're really like you live with somebody then you go oh that's kind of the person you are. I didn't see that before so I thought this is neat everybody's gonna have well I didn't know what was gonna happen in the story yet but not everybody will change. Maybe there'll be some kind of Lord of the Flies kind of action or something. Yeah, I didn't know what uh-huh, was going to uh-huh. happen. Exactly. That's what I was thinking, too, that maybe some people would start, you know, having sex with each other that yeah. would normally have sex with each other or somebody would get violent or you right. know, some crazy things like that was going to happen. And um, spoiler, nothing like that happens. <laughs> no. <laughs> but who are these people that he's with? Let's uh... we got a breakdown. So we've got Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Reverend Timothy Maloney. Now, he's 55 years old, kind of brainy, but he's also a real rugged outdoorsman. He's super into being out of doors. Hubbard talks about how when he sees him cutting down a tree, he's impressed with him and a little turned on. What? I don't remember that. He doesn't say that, but he's impressed with the way he turns. Uh, I mean, uh, he's impressed with the way he chops down the tree. Um, And the Reverend Maloney's wife, Mrs. Maloney, Mm -hmm. she is a bit outdoorsy, not as much as him. She still really enjoys being out there and she likes camping. And then their daughter, Joan, she's 22 years old. She's very rugged in touch with nature and has kind of this wild side to her where she sort of just likes to go out in the woods by herself barefoot. And it says that she's not very attractive, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, it does say that she's not <laughs> spells that attractive. Out. But she's kind of somewhere in between the natures of her two parents because they say Reverend Maloney, really, when he's in nature, that's that's real life for him. Going yeah. back and doing the church stuff is that's his disguise, you know. Whereas for Mrs. Maloney, this is vacation, but real life is where she belongs. So they're right. they're on both sides of that, and Joan's somewhere in between. And Joan now now she's not too good looking, but she does have some kind of primal appeal. Mm-hmm. To her, there's something about her, just her personality, that makes her attractive in a way. Right. And the last member of the party is Peter Sangri. Now he's a Canadian student that's been studying with Maloney, and he's a bit bookish, not really outdoorsy, but he's okay with being outdoors, and he's doing his chores, and he's being a part of the group, and mm-hmm. and it's pretty harmonious. Everybody's having a really good time on this camping trip. Yeah, it did make me giggle a little bit, and it's because I totally just have a dirty mind, but when they were talking about the reverend mm-hmm. and how he made his living, the wording was... <laughs> was amusing, you know, because he uh, in the past few years he'd resigned the living and taken instead to cramming young men for their examinations. <laughs> this suited him <laughs> I better. Did the same thing. It enabled I him did. to indulge his passion for spells and then in quotes it says wildlife. 
and to spend the summer months of most years under canvas in one part of the world or another where he could take his young men with him and combine, and again in quotes, reading <laughs> with open air. <laughs> I, that caught my attention as well. Yeah, How can you miss that? I mean, why is everything in quotes? He is really going I, to read, isn't he? <laughs> I guess... I'm glad that struck you too. I felt a little like they did, goony. especially the cram cram his cram the young men with <laughs> knowledge. It's like, oh my, okay, yeah. I yeah, huh? Could be just maybe I was dirty too. Yeah, we're dirty guys. It's true. But Peter's the student that he brought along now, and Peter's got a, a this crush on Joan. Now he's not being apparent about it. Mm-hmm. He's not saying anything because he's pretty sure that she's not going to be into him. Right. So he he plays it cool. But he sort of looks at her maybe a little bit longer than he should. Mm-hmm. Hubbard, our narrator, notices that he looks at her, but says he's doing a very good job of not being a creep. You know, he's not, yeah. he's being really nice to her, but he's not being extra nice to her. He's just keeping his distance. Right. There's a scene where we kind of get the whole lowdown of this, where uh, the Reverend and his wife have kind of conked out for the night after dinner. Pete and Joan and the narrator, they think, why don't we go out and see some other islands? You know, just take a little night trip and check this out. Hubbard is going to go back and get the boat. Mm-hmm. But she says, no, 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 have him do it. She doesn't want to be alone. with him. Our narrator, Hubbard, he says, oh, now you're being silly. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He's not going to do anything. He's not going to be. He probably won't even talk to you. She goes, oh, I know. I know he's got a crush on me, but there's something about him unnerves me there's something being in the wilderness with him mm-hmm. and there's something inside of him something that she didn't see before until they came out here and now that there's some this thing inside of him it makes her uncomfortable it makes her uncomfortable because it's stirring something in her too though exactly because she's saying it makes me feel creepy and half afraid but then she also says it stirs what is wild in me deep down oh very deep down yet at the same time makes me feel afraid and he goes well so, you know it's love so what's the big deal yeah she says this It's not his love that I'm afraid of, she said hurriedly, for at this moment we heard the dip of a paddle in the water. It's something in his very soul that terrifies me in a way I have never been terrified before, yet fascinates me. In town, I was hardly conscious of his presence, but the moment we got away from civilization, it began to come. He seems so, so real up here. I dread being alone with him. It makes me feel that something must burst and tear its way out, that he would do something, or I should do something. I don't know exactly what I mean, probably, but that I should let myself go and scream. Yeah. It's so apparent what's going on. I know. Well, I still hadn't turned on the story yet, but I did fear this was the moment I went. I'm looking at the size of this book. It's big, too. Yeah. And I thought, are these two people just going to want to hook up for the entirety of this book and be all nervous about it and never do it? And that's what I'm going to have to deal with here. Surprise to me, I found out that that is all I'm really going to be dealing with. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Anyway, they take a little trip to the islands and check it out. It's all very beautiful and wonderful. And he does notice that she's not totally incorrect about Sangri, right? Now that she's mentioned this, he feels that energy about him. Mm -hmm. And he can't quite put his finger on what it is because he's the same guy. But there's something a bit more primal. Yeah, because he was kind of he's kind of goony. I mean, the way they describe him, he's just kind of this sickly ish student. Right. And then suddenly he's getting like his voice gets deeper and he's getting stronger and more rugged. And he's a werewolf. I thought he. Yeah. So did I. This guy's going to bust out some werewolfery at some point. Wolf it up. Everybody else must be sensing this, too, because the reverend ends his prayers saying he hopes that nothing from the kingdom of darkness should be allowed to afflict our peace and no evil thing come near to disturb us in the nighttime, which is kind of odd for him to say. A very specific. And when he says that, there's this shadow that passes across Sangri's face as he's staring at Jones, some kind of really creepy something that's only there for a moment, but the narrator 
notices. And luckily, Joan doesn't notice because she would have felt a little bit like prey, I think. A little freaked out by it. But then it just goes on for a while, right? I mean, nothing. Yeah, it goes on forever. They go up to bed. The narrator keeps thinking about what Dr. Silence said about, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have problems, I'll show up. Beginning of chapter two, folks are having a nice time camping. Joan speaks up after scoping out the island. She says, you know, there's two things wrong with this island. One, no animals. Two, no fresh water. He kind of makes a note, Hubbard does, that she didn't mention their conversation from the night before about him being creepy and weird. She just doesn't talk about it. He thinks, oh, right, maybe she's over it. It's not really that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. So later on, they they catch some fish. They're all by the fire. The reverend gets everyone excited about how good this food's going to be. And he orders Pete to clean the fish and his wife will cook it. Pete goes off to do this. He gives Joan a bit of a look as he scampers away. And he seems happy and excited about being here. He doesn't seem like too sad about love. He's just kind of intense. Yeah. That's what they say. He's just sort of intense in a strange way. And in general, I think those two aren't even really spent. I think you said they're not, they're not spending time with each other. No, 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 no. But they're both going native. I mean, she is too, right? She's out in her bare feet running yep, around. Yep. And they say that one of the things he did say that I liked, she shows up. In places that she's not expected to be all the time, like a ninja or something where you turn around and then <laughs> there she's standing there and you open up a, a suitcase and she's inside of it. And, <laughs> you know? Yeah, just wacky. Just wacky. She's like, how did you get in there? That, this is all he talks about for a while, too. Basically, yeah. she goes crazy. She's not crazy, but she's all savage and running around. Right. She's a jolly savage. Everybody's happy. Everybody's very alive. We keep going mm-hmm. along. Then he mentions again that Sangree is even more wild, unnaturally mm-hmm. wild. His voice is deeper. It says he now had some claims to be called nice looking or at least to a certain air of virility that would not lessen his value in the eyes of the opposite sex. There you go. So he's becoming a little more sexy, too, which happens if you're a werewolf, I think. Of course. Yeah. Werewolves are very sexy. But I'm scrolling through pages here, man. That's just all it's about. It goes on for a long time in a very slow. You want to hear some paragraphs about trees and nature and feelings, strange feelings that are just kind of repeating over and over again. And then at the end of chapter two, he says, And in each, according to temperament and character, there stirred the life instincts that were natural, untamed, and in a sense, savage. <sighs> I was so tired of this already. Yeah. I'm like, look, you're not savage. You're camping. Yeah. Everybody who's ever camped ever does everything that you're saying is savage. You know what I mean? There's nothing savage about There's it. There's nothing savage. You just you take your shoes off. You go, you check out the stream. You walk through nature. That's the reason you're out there. It's not savage. When I hear savage, the word savage makes me think of people killing each other or stealing or brutality and there's nothing brutal going on here at all (laughs) no they're having tea they're cooking together they're sitting around a fire it's fine and like what is the fear what are they so afraid it's that so repressed uptight turn of the century thing that i we have to deal with a lot of these stories because so many of them are written and this is you know yeah normally it doesn't bother me but here i was just like shut up yeah everything in my modern american brain was getting very upset with these guys (laughs) (laughs) i'm with you bud i felt like uh, yeah and especially this whole chapter talking about everybody running around i was talking to my wife about it and i said i feel like reading this book is kind of like having somebody describe a television show to you that you've already seen (laughs) (laughs) why are you telling me this i already know i got the point i I know please stop that's how i (laughs) felt but maybe maybe at the turn of the century, people didn't go camping very often. Maybe that wasn't a thing that they did. So that this was insightful in some way. I find that hard to believe. No, I'm just trying he's to... just playing up the central tension because this is, look, we read The Willows and we read The Wendigo and both of those were camping stories. And it was handled quite well. He didn't yeah. think these people were flipping out and becoming savages. This just has to do with the tension he's trying to build that 
because they're out in nature, the repressed sexuality is going to manifest in some way or whatever. Right. You know, it's pretty obvious what's going on. So chapter three, 10 days go by, right? Okay. So Joan pipes up at the breakfast that she heard a dog howl in the middle of the night. And if you recall, there's no animals on this island. So because there's no water on the island, no animals are coming yeah. over to drink anything. So they're just not no. there. So and it says when she goes, uh, when she tells them, I heard a dog last night. It says then suddenly came the terror that changed the whole aspect of the place. The devastating terror, which was there was a dog that we can't explain uh, howling last night. I think that's probably happened to me in the last week, three or four times. <laughs> Is that a dog outside? I think so. <laughs> Okay. Oh, my God, the devastating terror. But there wasn't supposed to be a, a dog on the island. But here's the thing. There's a dog on the island. <laughs> Mystery solved. Mystery solved. Maybe he's hiding somewhere you don't know. And then somebody even suggested, oh, maybe he swam over from another island. Yeah. And then I thought, well, okay, maybe maybe what's scary is maybe the dog belongs to somebody and somebody came and was snooping around their camp at night with the dog. That's what I was thinking was going to happen. Maybe, yeah. Because that's a little creepy. But that's not what happened. But also, it was like, she's like, yeah, I, I swear I heard a dog. It was sniffing and kind of scratching around the door. I go, aw. Yeah, and me too. The little guy was probably hungry. <laughs> He's just looking for a friend. <laughs> Sounds cute. Why don't you open up yeah. and give him a, a Scooby snack, man? What's wrong with you? It wasn't like it was growling uh-huh. or it was being aggressive or for foreboding in any kind of way. It was just it was something sniffing around the outside. Yeah. And if you've been camping, animals come around all the time. You know, like they'll just come by your tent and check out what's going on and they go away. Well, yes, they, not a big they, in deal. fact, they say this in the story. He says, you know, we're used to camping up in Canada where there's bears, you know, basically, you know, breaking and entering at night. Yeah. They're used to it. But this time it's really creepy. And I'm like, I don't feel it's creepy. But they go over and check it out because mm. they think that maybe she was dreaming it. And there are dog footprints, big dog footprints right. by her tent. So, OK, there was a big dog. Yeah. And the footprints are also, as they quickly discover, around Sangri's, around Peter's tent as well. Mm-hmm. It's as if. Right. The dog went there and then went to her tent. We have to wait for John Silence to show up and explain it, right? That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. <sighs> yep. Every so often, Hubbard would go out and fish and mm-hmm. do his thing. I'm not even really sure exactly what it was that he would do, but he would go off on his little adventures by himself. Joan pleaded with him and said, please, I don't want you to go off on one of your little adventures. Just stick around here for a little while. Pete's going to leave early. He's going to leave in two weeks. If you just stick around camp for two weeks, it'll make me feel better. And he's like, okay, you're being silly, but I'll do it. And then uh, there's another incident in the nighttime where Joan's tent actually gets ripped open. Oh, ripped tent. Yes. Uh, <laughs> she hears heavy breathing, very loud, heavy breathing, and then a sudden great tearing blow. And then the canvas rips open to her face. She runs out of the tent. There's nothing there. So they think that maybe the, the animal ran into the tent, but then looks in the tent. There's no animal in there either. So it was as if it were some kind of ghost dog. Or a ghost werewolf. Or a ghost werewolf. Yeah. Now they're getting nervous. So they're going to get their guns and they decide that they're going to search the island. In the middle of the night, they're doing this. Mm-hmm. They go out. Dawn comes. They keep looking. It's not a big island. Nothing. Not a No dog. Yeah, no no dog. wolf. No anything. Then there's a really odd turn of phrase here. It says, events say the occultists have souls or at least that agglomerate life due to the emotions and thoughts of all concerned in them so that cities and even whole countries have great astral shapes which may become visible to the eye of vision kind of an interesting notion i guess that a city would have a ghost but then it says uh certainly here the soul of this drive this vain blundering futile drive and by that he means their hunt for the dog stood somewhere between ourselves and laughed all of us heard that laugh and all of us tried to smother the sound or at least to ignore it I was trying to decode that. So the soul of their hunting party laughed at them? Pretty convoluted thought. I'm not I'm not exactly sure. And 
by this point in the story, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I say, Mr. Blackwood, you're not going to get my brain power to figure that out. No. You have not earned it. (laughs) Well, it goes on like that for a while. It's really futile. They can't find the dog. They don't know where it is. Everybody's freaked out about it. One night, the narrator, you know, he stays up late, just smoking, thinking about it. And then this happens. As I finally made ready to go and had kicked the embers of the fire into a last effort, I fancied I saw, peering at me from round the farther end of the stockade wall, a dark and shadowy mass that might have been, that strongly resembled, in fact, the body of a large animal. Two glowing eyes shone for an instant in the middle of it. But the next second I saw it was merely a projecting mass of moss and lichen in the wall of our stockade, and the eyes were a couple of wandering sparks from the dying ashes I had kicked. It was easy enough, too, to imagine I saw an animal moving here and there between the trees as I picked my way stealthily to my tent. Of course, the shadows tricked me. Almost a creepy scene. Yeah, almost. He goes to sleep remembering what John Silence said to him, unless you should send for me sooner. So he's going to need him to show up and... Yeah, figure figure out this. Figure out this werewolvery, and I guess we can do that in the next episode. But this, yeah, we'll do that in the next episode. But okay, here you go. Okay, I should send for John Silence because it's going down right now. Mm. There is a dog. (laughs) We need help. That's it. That's what's going on. It's ridiculous. Maybe if the story was told in a different way, that somehow conveyed that there was a creepy, weird vibe to the island. Mm -hmm. There was some kind of... But there isn't. There's nothing like that at all. All they just say is they sort of feel savage. Yeah. There's sort of a savageness around, which isn't demonstrated at all, just by him saying, I feel like people are being more savage. The story just suffers from a lame central occurrence. It's, It's night and day from the story we read last week, because that was so focused and had such strong characters. Heck yeah. Points of view, surprises... Because here's the thing about Blackwood. He, you know, Wendigo is an awesome story. It is. The Willows. But the truth is, he did believe in all that dumb cult Golden Dawn he did. crap. And that is somebody's brain who's been addled by that stuff. I'm sure people are going to write in and say mean things to me about this. But I just feel like <laughs> I can't be interested in it because it just seems so silly. To me. Well, it's very quantifiable. Yeah. Kind of what John Silence does when he shows up to, to spoil more. He's going to just completely quantify this event. Right. And explain exactly what's going on, which is the opposite of weird. With weird, you're left with this unnerved feeling. You don't really understand it. It doesn't make sense. It's beyond us. It's other world. And, but this is not. This is just. Yeah. I'm sorry, folks. I know we're spending another week on this, but Chen and I will try and think of more funny things to say about <laughs> it. Hey, well, here's the job, dude. Uh-huh. You do the story whether you like it or not. And yeah, we're doing the job, man. And every once in a while, we get a real stink. I think there are folks out there who probably will defend it and and say, no, it's good. You're missing something. But, you know, sometimes you got to get through it. I I would like to do two episodes on it because there is some pretty funny stuff later. There's more things to talk about. But it's Werewolf History Month, so we also can talk about whatever we want. So let's do a little of that real quick to close out. about some werewolves? People have been sending me this werewolf cat thing. Have you seen that? No, I have not seen werewolf cat. uh, There's a new breed of cat, and it's bred. It's kind of missing some hair. It looks like a werewolf cat. It's called a lycoi. And they, it's funny, they show a picture of the cat, and it's right next to Aww. a frame from uh, an American Werewolf in London. It's cute, huh? Looks like a werewolf. It doesn't look like a werewolf. It looks like the wolf man. Yeah, you're right. Looks like the wolf man. Are the you wolf saying the man. wolf man's not the werewolf? Not a werewolf? No, he is a werewolf, but he's not. Well, how do you fall on that? You're you're more, you, when you, how do you like your werewolves? You don't like the wolf man makeup. You like? I don't. You like the big head, wolf head? Yes. I, I to say my, my favorite werewolf of cinema mm-hmm. is... The American Werewolf in London. But that's actually, oh, that's a full all fours wolf. 
Yeah, that's an all four. It's just, just a giant wolf. Oh, I thought you were more like a howling guy. I like the design of it, the kind of the bipedal big wolf thing, uh-huh. uh, which is pretty cool. But in the, most of the folklore and the, the stories, they're not bipedal. You know, they're just right. they turn into big, big, scary wolves. Yeah. And there's something more, I don't know, creepy about that. I feel like maybe the bipedal werewolf is almost like a superhero. Yeah, you're right. Like, it's just too cartoony or, I don't want to say comical. No, it is comical because here's if you have your movie and you're going to have those kinds of werewolves, you can only show them briefly because if you linger on them for a second too long, it's hilarious. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's hilarious. It is hilarious. Look, we talked about this, I think, last year, actually. You know that show, Werewolf, that was on Fox? Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, That had that kind of werewolf, and they spent too much time on them, and it was hilarious part of it was just yeah. because like his mouth didn't move it was a bad practical no. effect but yeah they had a budget it was a television budget so they only had like the one wolf head yeah. <laughs> and i think the mouth could kind of open slightly and close slightly but it was still like the snarly face <laughs> all the time here's this other thing that somebody sent us out i'll link out to in our show notes where in saint paul uh, minnesota there was a distant howling that was going on waking people up in the Highland Park mm-hmm. area at like four in the morning. They think it was just ice on the Mississippi. But here, I'll play a little. It sounded a little like okay. this. This is the sound of ice on the Mississippi River, recorded by NPR News reporter Tim Nelson. spooky if you woke up and heard that huh yeah wasn't a werewolf though i don't think they're out there they, they, they oh. think it's just the the spirit of the old miss the mighty miss so have you heard about the the werewolf sightings up in uh, jefferson county in wisconsin no folklore from the area but it's recent it's in the last century there was i think the first recorded sighting was in 1936 where this guy was driving down the road and he saw somebody digging in the ground this is on highway 18 oh wow. he saw a guy digging out there and he goes that's weird why is that guy digging out there because it's an old indian burial ground <gasps> I know. It's that old McMack burial ground. Sometimes that is better. <laughs> he pulls over to kind of check out and see what, what, you know, what the guy's doing. And the guy turns around and he looked like a cross between an ape and a dog. Whoa. But he was stand, standing up and obviously he was using a shovel. So he, it was like a thing. And the guy drove off, came back the next night to see if it would be there again. And when he came back, it was there and it turned and it growled at him. And it Whoa. said, it said, Gadara. <gasps> At the guy. Shackleman was this dude's name. And then he ran off. This was 1936. And so that was reported that that happened. You said it. I said what to him? Gadara. You're reading that? Okay. okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you were just making it up. Gadara. Maybe he says it faster. I don't know. I thought it, was just, it sounds like, you know, when Michael Jackson turns into that werecat. In Get away. Go away. Yeah. That kind of thing. Man, that scared the crap out of me. Oh, I loved that video so much. Well, I know. We all know, Chad. <laughs> all right. What else? What else? But anyway, there's lots of sightings. There were sightings in 64 of this guy. Uh, in 72, a woman called 911 who said that there was uh, a ar- large animal trying to get in her house. But when mm. the cop showed up, it was gone and there was like claw marks and stuff on the side of the house. And they kind of speed up in the last uh, 30 years. There's mm-hmm. like 89. There was a few 1990, 92, 99. All up in that area, Wisconsin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You might want to look out. Wisconsin could be very werewolf intense. It's got that wintry kind of, it feels like werewolf country up there. Sure. For sure. You know, I, if you just start looking up crazy werewolf things, there's always, like right before we got on the show, I go, werewolf baby names. Just typed it in there. There's not going to be a site for werewolf baby names. Yes, there is. What? It says if you want a 
a kid to sound like a werewolf. Uh-huh. Here's a bunch of names you can choose from. And it's like from different movies and it's just names. What are some of them? Antonio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why is that werewolf? I don't know. Brady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is the least werewolf name yeah. I've ever heard. Clayton. Okay, maybe that's a little bit more. I, there's also a werewolf diet. I go, I wonder if there's a werewolf diet, and I pull it up, and it's a real thing. It's like adjusting fasting by the phases of the moon or something like that. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, boys, Antonio, Brady, Clayton, Falcon, Colin, Fenrir. Fenrir, well, that's, the, that's the name of the big wolf in Norse mythology. Right. So that makes sense. That's a good name for to make your kids sound like a wolf. It's all from Twilight and Anita Blake Vampire Hunter and the Vampire Diaries. Tyler, oh, you know, Underworld. Uh, all right. We were talking about um, Greek werewolves. Uh-huh. And and I was trying to pronounce this. Frivolica? Frivolica. Yeah. Yeah. And you were like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, I know that because of that Val Luton movie I'm always going on about, Isle of the Dead. It's kind of a catch-all for werewolf, vampire, sorcerer, any supernaturally inclined bad person right yeah in that movie there's a woman who has catalepsy that she hasn't told anybody about which makes no yeah. sense but um and then she's got a little fresh young girl who takes care of her and the old greek woman thinks that she's a frivolica that she's stealing the life force from the woman the lang ren is the chinese werewolf uh-huh. uh, canada they've got bear walkers panama they're still pa- panama's huge with werewolf stuff they've got this oh, yeah? called the the tula yeah which is always cited people see it all the time and it's it, this is a good one here where it's a very old woman or witch bruja yeah. and she's got on her right hand is not a right hand but it's a crow's foot so she shifts into the into this uh creatures it could be a wolf or a crow or something but basically grabs children or vulnerable people and drags them back to hell wow pretty cool but we'll have more of these interesting werewolf fun facts. I want to thank Andrew Lehman for, again, taking this sow's ear and making a silk purse. <laughs> Thanks so much. We'll have Andrew with us again next week. And just real quick before we sign off, I just want to let people know we did three shows on The King in Yellow back when we kicked off this uh, phase of the podcast, the 2.0. Right. They were for subscribers only, but we've just recently made them free. So get the word out. And the reason we did that is because the HBO show True Detective, I don't know how this is going to play out, but is referencing heavily. Carcosa and the King in Yellow. So Robert Chambers works. Yes. Yeah. So so let people know that they can download those for free. Those are available to anybody now. Yeah. Obviously, if, you guys have access to it because you're listening to this show. But let, let your friends know. Let friends know so they can be the smart person at the HBO viewing party. I know exactly what that is. Be that guy. <laughs> oh, well, let me tell you all about Ambrose Beers. <laughs> That's me doing it. That's an impression of myself that I'm doing. Right it's now. good. It sounded just like you. Oh, yes. I've read all the Game of Thrones books. (laughs) (laughs) Do you hear that joke? How do you know when somebody's read the Game of Thrones books? No. Don't worry. They'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I had not heard that joke. (laughs) All right, Chris. Well, good job today. Chad, excellent job. I will talk to you next week when we cover the second part of The Camp of the Dog by Algernon Blackwood on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Here at hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com.